Jump shot. It's good. Zach Randolph does it again. Three-point game. They've got to go for three now. No choice. Conley for three. Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Grizzlies Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mark King, for this show, Wednesday edition of the podcast. As always, we have Joe Molinix, site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues on the show. What's going on, man? Not too much. You know, as Grizzlies just got to 500, uh, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm surprised. I'm stunned. I'm of all those different words, it's pretty remarkable to to see this young team who's two best players, you know, under the age of 21, they're 500 ball club. And that's, that's something that anybody that's involved in that organization should be proud of because nobody had them as a 500 ball club heading into January 31st. It's pretty crazy. That is very true because I had them winning uh, 21 wins on the season. Um, They've already so we'll just. That. So we'll just say I was wrong. Uh, we're, we're already we're already there in life, um, and I'm I'm perfectly happy being wrong uh, on that one. That that is for sure. Uh, they like you mentioned their team that just getting to 500. Also, team in the month of January now 11 and three something. I mean, that's in, that's impressive. I mean, I don't think that I don't think anybody ever saw that coming. That's a, that's a really good ball club. That's something that playoff teams do. And, you know, I, I've been uh, attacked here and there and everywhere for my uh, my patient and stoic view, I would say, uh, of what this team is doing. Um, I think that you have to give credit where it's due. They're, they're playing like a playoff team right now. They're, they're playing like a team that is capable of competing. I'm not saying that they're going to win a series with the Lakers. I think the Lakers sweep them, uh, especially given the events of the last 72 hours or so, uh, the passing of Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, essentially saying, I'm going to take this on my back, you know, not to create false narratives, but uh, basketball doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of that story. But also, you know, the Lakers should probably be the favorite to win the NBA championship at this point. Um so I don't think that anything more than that will come of it. But at the same time, you know, if they get hot enough, uh, the, the seven and six seed as people have, you know, it used to be a joke. Like I used to look at it and say, there's no way they could do that. That's not possible. But the fact that they're even in the eight seed conversation is impressive. Uh, but these next, you know, seven or eight days is the trade deadline looms, you know, whatever the thunder do, how Houston improves and these other squads, I, I don't think the Grizzlies are going to be able to maintain this level of play for the next you know, 40 games or 35 games, whatever's left. There's going to be low points because they're so young. But at the same time, to say that they're not going to make the playoffs, I think that's incorrect at this stage. And, uh, I, I don't know that you should have the expectation that they're going to make it, but 
at the same time, I think it's fair for fans and media and everybody alike to say this is a playoff team. And, and as the as the field thins a little bit, you know, the Spurs, the Pelicans, and the Grizzlies chasing that eight seed. And it's going to be really fascinating to watch it play out. Absolutely, yeah. They like you mentioned, that's what playoff teams do. They go out and win. They go out and have winning months. That that's for that's for sure. And so um, they're in. And you mentioned the eight seed right now, even the seven seed. Like like you said, there are four games out of the seven seed right now. I mean, in the the six and Dallas is only a game ahead of the Thunder. And and so uh, I think what used to be a bunch of teams fighting for the eight seed is now whittled down to maybe three. Three or four, the Spurs, Suns, Trailblazers. Um, I'm not sure if the – I mean, maybe you can include the Pelicans in there. I think the Kings and the Timberwolves and are, are pretty much out of it at this point. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Grizzlies have, have gone out and done – had a really impressive month. And in, in that month, they've had a top-10 offense, I believe. I, I, I'm trying to remember from uh, – Chris Harrington is the one that, that tweeted this out, so you can go look at his Twitter feed and probably find it. But I think it's well, it was like a top-10 offense – I want to say like a top fifteen defense and and top ten in net rating like that that's that's impressive what Taylor Jenkins has done with this this, this squad and just what what they've done and bench the bench just from top to bottom really really impressive and I think that is the thing that makes it most unsustainable and not to be negative but uh, the offense I think is sustainable they've done that for a pretty long period of time here. And- one of the common misconceptions about their efficiency is they're shooting the lights out from beyond the arc. Uh, obviously, they're attempting more threes than they ever have, at least in the time that I followed the team. But I believe they lead the NBA in paint points. So they're, yes, they're really they good at, at attacking the lane, attacking the basket, getting efficient looks at the rim. And I think that's sustainable. Like, it's almost like, you know, to use the Super Bowl this Sunday as an example – you know, I like the 49ers in that game because they can run the football. You know, running the football right. is sustainable. That's something to travel. That's something that week in and week out, as long as you have solid scheme, you can do that pretty consistently. And I think, you know, Shanahan and the 49ers have shown that. Applying that to basketball, if you can get to the basket consistently, your offense is going to be successful consistently because, you know, rarely are you going to have an off night shooting layups. You know what I mean? Rarely are you going to struggle in the paint, you know, Brandon Clark's floater, whenever he shoots that floater or whatever, you know, excuse me, whatever John Morant gets to the basket at this point, I expect those shots to go in, which is a far cry from, you know, the grit and grind era where Tony Allen would shoot four layups and not be able to hit a single one. Um, The the fact that they're getting so much of their offense in and around the the rim uh, tells me that that is sustainable. The defensive side, I think that's a little bit more questionable. You know, John Morant is not anywhere near elite at that stage or at that area, uh, depending on what the Grizzlies do at the trade deadline. Jay Crowder is a net average there at best. Jonas Valanciunas has improved in, in fairness to him, but he's still not somebody who is an elite defender. So I'm not sure that that is something that's sustainable. Um, but all you need, and, and you mentioned it, you know, if you are a net neutral defense, so you don't have to be, you know, a top five team, top 10 team, especially if your goal is just the playoffs or your thinking is just the playoffs. If you're a top 10 offense and a top 15 to 20 defense, uh, you're probably going to make the playoffs in the Western Conference this year, at least as that eight seed down at the bottom. So I think all of that is sustainable if that is your measuring stick. If you expect them to be, you know, top 10 in everything the rest of the year, 
you're probably going to be disappointed. But if your goal is for them to, you know, win three or four games and then maybe lose two or three, win six of ten in a row, you know, in, in the next ten games, win six games uh, over the next 30 or so, you know, I think those are things that Grizzlies fans can look at and say, the way that they're playing right now, that is sustainable and those types of goals are realistic. And if they're able to rattle off another 18 or so wins, you know, that, that puts them right at 500 for the season, and that makes them almost assuredly a playoff team in the West. Look, the, 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 the goals for this season should never change, no matter what you and I talk about tonight and what they go and do out on Friday, any of that stuff. The goals should always be the same. You've, you've said that for quite some time. Um, I've said that on the show as well. Yes, we can all get excited and be happy. Like, do that, because that's part of being a fan and riding the ups and the downs and all that. But in reality, the goal should always be, be the same, which is what you've said all all season. Uh, it's, it's about development. It's about seeing what you got. Right. It's about it's setting yourself up for the next couple of years. And you mentioned points in the paint. They lead the league by three points in the paint. So, like, they're at 56 points in the paint right now per game. The next closest is the Lakers at 53. And this is a stat category that's usually separated by tenths of a point, if that gives you any idea how much better they are. And they're in the top five. They're fourth in the league in fast break points. Like when they get going and they're up their their tempo is, is, is going and they're, they're up and down the court. Like they are a very, very tough team to beat. And the fascinating thing about that comparison with the Lakers is if you watch the Lakers play, or even if you just have a basic understanding of their rotation, the Lakers are gigantic, right? Like they are just right. a massive basketball team and they're not massive. Like the Knicks who, Memphis just dismantled because they're essentially eight power forwards uh, trying to play guard and center positions. And, you know, the, the Knicks uh, roster makes no sense. The Lakers roster makes a ton of sense. They're just so big and they have the capacity to dominate physically in and around the rim. The Grizzlies are the opposite of that. Beyond Jonas Valanciunas, they don't have a true center that plays any minutes for them. I mean, right. they have Jaron Jackson Jr. who can play the center position, but that's not his true position. Otherwise, they never would have re-signed Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, Brandon Clark is not a backup center, or at least when he does play those minutes, the Grizzlies are not as good as they are with Jaron and Jonas in those spots. So the, the fascinating thing to me when it comes to that is the fact that they do it in completely different ways. The Lakers are so big that it makes sense that they're going to dominate around the rim. Memphis has to do it through scheme, through transition points, like you said, through right. attacking the basket and dribble penetration. And, and obviously, Valanciunas is a big part of that with his back-to-the-basket post game. Uh, there's so many different ways that Memphis does, and the Lakers do too, but just the physical makeup of the rosters is the main thing that stands out between those two squads, although they get the similar results in terms of efficient offense and paint. I think you're absolutely right. Um, it, it is very interesting how they how they accomplish you know virtually the same same goal. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. I want to talk about you mentioned Jaron Jackson's defense and playing center position. Let's talk about that coming up next. Welcome back to the show. Talking with Joe Malone, excitement manager of Grizzly Bear Blues, like we do every single week on the show. You mentioned Jaron Jackson Jr. last answer and something that um, I'm not sure. I'm sure you guys have written about it because you guys write all kinds of stuff and, and have great staff, but I, I really don't know how much has been talked about, but Jaron Jackson's defense over the last like 
month or so has been like phenomenal. Like there's been several games. I think I can remember the Houston game of one of them, like late in the game, he's blocking several shots. Yeah. Uh, the game on the last game they played, not this Knicks game, but the game previous to that, he had seven blocks. I mean, his defense, especially late in the game has been absolutely phenomenal. Like really, really good. Well, this is what everybody expected him to be. Right. And, you know, I was, you and I and Greg Latliff were doing the live podcast for Grizzly Bear Blues uh, when Jaron was drafted. We had the chance to do it actually at FedEx Forum that year. And, you know, people booed that draft pick. And I was not very happy with that draft pick. And Peter Edmison, a friend of you and I, and, and Greg Gaston, same kind of idea. You know, people were trying to talk me off the ledge. It was never about Jaron not being good. I always thought he had that potential. I knew that he would be a project except for his defensive acumen. And the funny thing about the start of this season, his sophomore campaign, is the first half of the year, you could argue his offense was tremendous. He showed great growth in terms of his ability to score off the dribble. He looks like a guard at times with the way that he plays on the perimeter and can dribble, penetrate, and get around defenders, uh, creating mismatches against all sorts of different types of players. But he seemed out of place defensively, whether it was biting on pump fakes, too much body contact on shots in and around the rim. He wasn't playing up to his potential on defense. He has been a complete and total force of nature defensively the last month, as you mentioned. The seven blocks are just, you know, the counting stats. If you watch the games, you break down possessions, you see how he fits into their defensive schemes. He's able to switch with just about anybody. He can defend all five positions on the floor for at least some stretch of time. Uh, you don't want him to play, you know, defend the point guard spot every possession down. But if he gets caught in a switch and on a pick and roll and there's five seconds left in the side clock, you're okay with Jaron Jackson Jr. being in that spot against just about right. anybody, whether they're a guard, a wing, a big. You know, he can handle his own, and he has amazing timing. He understands more and more the speed of the game and how he needs to attack the ball at the rim and, and the angles of his uh, trajectory when he's trying to block these shots. It comes with experience, you know, and, and as I said all along, when, when you had foul trouble at Michigan State uh, as a freshman, you're probably going to have foul trouble in the NBA. That makes total sense. But one of the main things that has really been a sign of growth for him is while that still pops up every once in a while, uh, it's not as big of an issue the last 10 or 15 games. And that allows for him to remain on the court and be a force that he's capable of being. And his defensive skill allows for him to make everybody around him better on that end of the floor. And, and to me, that's the key. If you want Memphis to be an actual playoff team to hold off the Spurs and the Suns and, uh, and the Pelicans, I think the Spurs are the biggest threat. If you want that to be a realistic thing, it has to be on the defensive end that they're able to continue to grow. Because offensively, I don't see them getting that much better this year. I think they can maintain what they're currently doing, but it's hard to see them unless they make a big trade that uh, is unforeseen at this point for uh, an elite scoring wing. I don't necessarily think they're going to get that much better on that end. They still have a lot of room for growth defensively, and that's going to start with Jaron. And there's been a lot of reasons to be optimistic with him coming back to what we expected him to be, even on draft night. He was always going to be an offensive project in a lot of folks' eyes. Defensively, the goods were there from the jump. And, and you mentioned uh, he just experienced. Like, that just comes with 
being out there and getting reps, getting the right positions, knowing where you're supposed to be. And, you know, I, at the beginning of the season, I personally, I think I'm with everybody else that it looked like a different player now than at the beginning of the season. He has come along a far, just a long, long way in terms of just a few months and, and where he started. And I, I believe he was just a kind of a funk when he started as well, but just in, in terms of his, of his defense, where he started and where he came uh, from the beginning of the season until right now, he's just, it's a, it's a different player on a different level. And, and you see why time and time again, over the past few months, why they close with Brandon and Jared together. Um, the other thing you mentioned, Jay Crowdy mentioned it quite a bit. He didn't start the last few games because he was hurt. Uh, the Grizzlies won both those games. I'm not saying it's a coincidence because he played tonight and they won, but it was also the Knicks. But I'm also not saying that uh, he's got to be out there starting every night either. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm too hard <laughs> on Jay Crowder. I, I, <laughs> I've kind of gotten the rep of not being the biggest fan of his. And I do want to reiterate that I everything that people say, there's folks that are interact with that team on a daily basis, you being – one of them covering the team in terms of actually attending the games. You know, there's folks like Anthony Sane and obviously Peter Edmondson, we mentioned him earlier, other guys and girls who cover this team far more closely than me in terms of distance that swear up and down that Jay Crowder is important for leadership purposes. I know Omari, Omari Sankofa and you are, uh, are good buddies, and Omari wrote about that for The Athletic. And the team buys into it. The coaches say it. It's not just lip service. I do think that that matters. How much it matters is up for debate. And we were talking before uh, we started recording about if you compare Jay Crowder's shooting stats to what Tayshawn printed his second year as a Grizzly, they're not as bad as Tayshawn, but they're not far off. And right. In terms of developing this team and in terms of, again, if you want them to be a playoff contender, and obviously right now they are, uh, you could definitely make the argument that they're better without Jay Crowder, whether it's Kyle Anderson, whether it's, you know, Josh Jackson, which I don't think is going to happen, but, you know, he has that physical capacity to, to be that guy. The Anthony Melton, you know, there's lots of options or depending on what you do at the trade deadline, if an Andre Iguodala trade at the minimum brings back somebody that could potentially be that starter next to Dylan Brooks on the perimeter on the wing, you know, there's a lot of options that are better than Jay Crowder. And uh, there's value in the leadership he provides. I had Mike Prada of SB Nation on GBB Live last week, and he talked about how one of the valuable pieces of Jay maybe even more so than Dylan Brooks. And obviously Dylan has been a monster in his own right the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, when you think about who would be willing to go from being a starter on a mediocre team, because again, we got to say you are what your record says you are. And the Grizzlies have gone from a bad team to a mediocre one as a 500 ball club. Um, to go from that to being a reserve on a good team, you know, Jay Crowder has been that almost his entire career. So Jay, could if they want to keep him, resign him, if they really do value his veteran presence, him sliding to a bench role is more believable at this stage than Dylan Brooks because Dylan right. Brooks has been so successful. He's done such a good job. Would Dylan be willing to go to a title contender like the Clippers or Lakers or Bucks or uh, the Heat and be a sixth man for them? Probably because it's a new location, but he's been in Memphis long enough and he's played enough on this roster in this role as a starter that he probably wouldn't be as willing to make that slide and switch. Jay Crowder would. So there's an argument there 
to keep him and continue to let him be a big part of the rotation. I'm just not buying it. I think that somebody like the Clippers, uh, and I wrote about this uh, in an article for the blog on Wednesday, uh, you know, the Clippers could take Jay Crowder and Josh Jackson and pretty much whether they waive Josh Jackson, whatever they do with him, you know, they might not be able to afford Iggy in terms of trade assets. But, you know, Jake Crowder should be had, could be had for, you know, Jareem Robinson, Maurice Harkless, and a second-round pick. You know, I think that's good value there, in my opinion. Right. Uh, I mean, to give, so to give I, people I, an, an idea of, like, Jay Crowder, the last – I mean, he, he played – obviously, he played tonight, but before that, uh, before the – you know, he, he had zero points, three points, two points, nine points, five points, five points, 14 points, three points. I'd say it was like seven start. games. Starting doing that. Right. In, in 30 minutes. Yeah, so. I, I like I said, I, I understand the leadership aspect of it. I think that in Memphis, that's really valued as well. Given you know Tony Allen's a good example of that. Obviously, Tony wasn't you know the defensive maven. He wasn't going to be somebody that you could continuously depend on to contribute in the counting statistics. But you knew Tony Allen was going to give tremendous effort. You know he was a big part of the personality of the team. Uh, they try to say that or similar things about Jay Crowder. I guess I just don't see it. And maybe it's because I'm not as closely intertwined as other people to cover the squad. But I just think that, you know, if Jay Crowder were traded tomorrow, I do believe people would miss him. I think the young players would miss him and, and hate to see him go. But I also right. think they'd be pretty resilient and move on pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a, it's something they're gonna. I, I think they would understand if it was if they're bringing back something that that's gonna help a team. You know what I mean? I understand where brother probably those guys ought to come from. They're 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 close with Jade. They really want him there. But I think most of those guys are smart enough to understand that if they get something back in return for Jake Crowder that's gonna help them long term, player pick, anything like that. I think they'll understand what the what the front office is trying to do. Let's take one last break. We'll come back. You mentioned Josh Jackson several times. We're gonna talk about him coming up next. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Grizzlies is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Grizzlies fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Grizzlies fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to the show. Talking with Joe Mullinex, site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues, like we do every single week. Before we get out of here, uh, I do want to ask you about Josh Jackson. Are you surprised? Obviously, you know, the Grayson Allen stuff and the Josh Jackson stuff, we got those press releases back to back. So I think obviously those are those are uh, those are definitely tied together. But are you surprised that they actually called him up? I was assuming that we would never see Josh Jackson on this roster. Not like he's actually played, but were you surprised they even put him on the roster? 
Yeah, a little bit. I had come to terms, much like you, with the idea that they were never going to play him at all. They were going to waive him at the trade deadline as part of a two-for-one deal involving Iguodala, since there's so much money involved in that contract, or he would be traded as an add-on. You know, a contender could waive that deal, and that would give them some roster flexibility. Uh, I don't know the exact deadline for signing players that are playoff eligible, but I know that's in the next month or so. Um, so I think that there's value in that for a team that acquires the money that's connected to Josh Jackson. Uh, but I, I, I'm surprised that he is there. Right. I do think that in fairness to the Grizzlies and, and to Josh and the hustle and everybody involved, um, with Grayson Allen out, it doesn't really make sense to not have him there. He's not a two-way contract player like John Conchar or uh, Yudo Watanabe. He's an actual member of the Grizzlies roster, and they just decided to have him be with the hustle all this time. So if you have an injured player like Allen who is out for the foreseeable future and you need a roster spot, you had somebody with the hustle in South Haven uh, that, that can fill that role. And he played a little bit against the Knicks, not very much at all. Uh, he didn't play at all in the first half of the back-to-back. So you you look at what the Grizzlies have done with him, and you can agree or disagree how they've treated and handled his situation. Um, everything they've done suggests that I do believe that Josh Jackson, for the most part, has done what they want him to do, but the Grizzlies have not handled him in any way, shape, or form, suggesting that he is a part of their long-term plan like some of us maybe thought that he could have been. Uh, it, maybe he comes to the hustle, he has a good showing. He, they call him up and they see him as a possible starter on the wing for them alongside Jaron and Jaw and you know a starting five of Jaw, Dylan Brooks, Josh Jackson, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, plays for the NBA Finals or for the NBA championship in 2023. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, yeah. I think that that was a vision dancing in some people's heads. And that, that's just very clearly, at least to me, not in their, uh, in their space. I wrote an article saying Josh Jackson's day is coming for Grizzly Bear Blues. And I talk about, you know, how he's a better athlete than Conchar and Marco Guterich. And yet those two guys have gotten more minutes. <laughs> I wrote about how, yeah. you know, it, it, it the hustle should be that different from the Grizzlies scheme because the two organizations are so closely intertwined. So to me, even though they haven't had a practice or a shoot around, I do think that's a valid excuse uh, in terms of rotations and meaningful minutes. You know, I still would have thrown them out there as part of one of these two uh, back-to-back games against the Nuggets and then in New York against the Knicks. Uh, We'll see what happens moving forward. You know, they have three games before the trade deadline. They play on Friday, and then I think it's Monday and Wednesday of next week uh, are the games that they play before the trade deadline next Thursday. It'll be fascinating to see how they utilize him because, you know, you could, as opposed to Jay Crowder, who has been one of the leaders in minutes on the Grizzlies season, and there's value in his rotation spot, that isn't Josh Jackson at all. So if using the Knicks, for example, if the Knicks called up and said, we'll give you Wayne Ellington and a 2020 second round pick, you know, the one from the Charlotte Hornets or something like that they have. Uh, We'll give you a second rounder and Wayne Ellington's expiring contract for Josh Jackson. Uh, Would you say no to that? I mean, this is somebody that you clearly don't value. 
if if you were going to see him as a starter long term, then maybe that's different, or or even if he was a rotation piece. But you just have not invested any time at the big league level in him. Uh, if you're able to get an asset and you still have the expire the money coming off the books, you know I think that's a deal you consider. It doesn't sound like much for the former number four number four overall pick in the NBA draft. But we have to remember, he was traded alongside the Anthony Melton in second-round picks, and he was seen as the least valuable part of that trade this past summer. Uh, he's fallen pretty far, but at the same time, a team like the Knicks, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Atlanta Hawks, you know, anybody who's in the lottery and pretty much locked into that reality, why not take a swing at a former top-five pick and see if he can catch on in a more meaningful rotation role, uh, especially if he's been the model citizen that, for the most part, aside from a missed uh, meeting here or there or a meeting he was late for, you know, all indications are he's done just about everything they've asked him to do. So maybe somebody else is going to be willing to take that risk and see what he can do with a more uh, consistent NBA rotation role than he'll probably get with the Grizzlies. It'll be interesting to see what they do for sure as the trade deadline comes up. Yeah, I, I thought he would get more minutes than he did when they, they called him up. I just I just assumed. I just assumed he's going to play over someone like John Contra. But like you said, let's not forget, um, they got paid to take uh, a Josh Jackson. Like they, they got paid to take them off their hands. So that's that's where Josh Jackson's at in his career. Uh, nonetheless, uh, Joe, I appreciate you coming on the show. What can everybody read over at the site this week? Uh, there's been a lot of good stuff over at the site this week. Obviously, game coverage. Uh, folks have done a great job with that. Um, in the wake of the tragedy, Kobe Bryant, his daughter, uh, and the other seven passengers uh, that passed away in that uh, tragic accident in California. Uh, I read Remembrance of Kobe Bryant. Nate Chester did a great job with an article about Kobe Bryant and the impact on him and his fandom. We had a roundtable where a bunch of our writers uh, talked about some of their favorite memories of Kobe uh, from the NBA. So lots of good Kobe content. I wrote about Josh Jackson. I'll have an article coming out about John Morant here in the next day or so, so make sure you're checking that out. Uh, Just a ton of good stuff over at GBB. We have an amazing staff. Mark, obviously, you were a part of that. You know, it does me proud to see our current staff and then former staffers like you, you know, Jonah Jordan, all sorts of different folks that are out there doing good work in the Memphis media. Uh, the, the GBB uh, extension, the GBB impact is felt more and more as the year goes on and the years go on uh, in Memphis media, and that makes me proud. So uh, we have a great staff. I'm proud of those folks, and hopefully uh, people will continue to make us a part of their fan experience with the Memphis Grizzlies. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you doing it. Again, go check out uh, grizzlyrulers.com. Lots of great stuff over there. Make sure you go subscribe to the podcast, whatever podcast platform you use, uh, so you don't miss any episode conversations like this between Joe. Uh, we have Amari on. We have a we have a rotating guest on Thursday now that David Cobb has left off, and uh, shame on him for not thinking about me. And that's his <laughs> fault and putting his career first. But I'm not bitter at all. Either way, Joe, I appreciate it. Let's do it again next week. Appreciate you, buddy. Looking forward to a trade deadline time. It'll be interesting to see how the team looks about a week or so from now. Got to be a fun one.